Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Якому роду поховаєте мене на могилі? Серед степу широкого на вкраїні милій. Those are the opening words of the poem My Testament by Taras Shevchenko, the subject of this two-part podcast special. Read by our friend Katya Savchenko, the poet's words, written in 1845 in Pereyaslav, south of Kyiv, are stark, rich, and beautiful. In translation, it reads, When I am dead, bury me in my beloved Ukraine, my tomb upon a grave mound high amid the spreading plain, so that the fields, the boundless steppes, the Dnieper's plunging shore, my eyes could see, my ears could hear, the mighty river roar. We will hear the full poem in Ukrainian at the end of today's podcast. Our huge thanks to Katya for her powerful reading. I'm David Knowles, and this is Ukraine, the latest. Over the Christmas week, we're doing things a little differently here. Today is the first part of a special two-part podcast on the life and works of Ukrainian poet, writer and artist Taras Shevchenko. When you're in Kyiv, the name Taras Shevchenko is almost impossible to escape. Monuments, streets, universities bear his name. Even the hotel Dom Nichols and I stayed in was just a few minutes from Taras Shevchenko Park. To get to the park, you travelled along Taras Shevchenko Boulevard, and the Taras Shevchenko Museum was just across the road. Before travelling to the country, I had a dim idea of Taras Shevchenko as a poet and important cultural figure. But I wanted to understand better his life and his times, to place his story in the greater and wider story of Ukrainian history and culture in the past few hundred years. Shevchenko's life is fascinating. Born in serfdom in 1814, he died in 1861 in St. Petersburg. His life is one of incredible creativity, artistic talent, and gives us a fascinating glimpse back into 19th century Ukrainian history at a time when the Russian Empire was in its heyday. Understanding him, his life, his impact on Ukrainian culture and society, should help us better understand contemporary Ukraine. This is what this two-part podcast will try and do. I spoke to Lyubov Tarashchuk, researcher at the Taras Shevchenko Museum in Kyiv. Here's our conversation. Lyubov, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for agreeing to speak to us. We're going to talk today about Taras Shevchenko, the great Ukrainian poet, to start off, can you tell us a little bit about his life? Can you give us an overview for people who've heard the name potentially but don't know much about him? First of all, thank you for inviting me and giving me a chance to tell your audience, uh, your English-speaking audience, some more about my country and uh, our most prominent figure, Taras Shevchenko. When you arrive in Ukraine, it would pass uh, an hour or even less and you immediately hear the name of Taras Shevchenko because Ukrainians are mad about him. We have uh, streets, uh, bulbars, we have monuments to Taras Shevchenko in every city, town, and even village. But if you ask somebody, even Ukrainian, 
if you ask uh, Ukrainians, why are you so mad about this guy? You can hardly get uh, a short answer because Shevchenko have always been with us. I remember since my childhood, uh, I can never even recollect when, uh, for, when I first heard the name of Taras Shevchenko. It's just with you. <laughs> with the milk of moms, yes? <laughs> Something like this. At least we feel like this. We know the biography of Taras Shevchenko is quite well, but uh, we don't uh, comprehend, uh, completely comprehend his role for, for our modern life. Absolutely. So let's start at the beginning. So what is that biography? Taras Shevchenko uh, is a primary Ukrainian poet uh, and artist and public intellectual um, living in the 19th century. And he lived and created uh, his poems and artworks uh, in the period of uh, Romanticism, uh, which was marked by the spread of national uh, movements in many European countries, uh, as well as in the United States. And Shevchenko appeared to be a main representative of, of the Ukrainian Romanticism and a major figure of the of Ukrainian National Revival. As I already told, he had always been and uh, still remains a symbol of the Ukrainian national spirit, whoever you ask in our country. Through Shevchenko's life story, we'll try to tell the English-speaking audience about Ukraine's history and culture, our way of getting what we are now. Shevchenko himself in autobiography wrote the following words. The story of my life is a part of the history of my homeland. And that was really true. You cannot tell the artist's biography and explain his role in the Ukrainian national movements without revealing the, the historical context he was born and worked in. So the Ukrainian poet and artist Taras Shevchenko was born in 1814. Uh, in the village of Morinsi, Kiev province, at, at the time uh, a part of the Russian Empire. His parents were self peasants belonging to the Russian landlord, Baron Vasily Engelgard. The story of Shevchenko's family can also be an evidence of, uh, of the historical changes of the period. For example, it's important to, for understanding to know that uh, Shevchenko's grandfather, Andrei, uh, was the Polish subject. And he was a free man. But already Shevchenko's father became a Russian subject and he was enslaved in serfdom. So his son Taras, the future Ukrainian artist and poet, was born as a serf, a person who was some other person's property. It was one of the results of incorporation of the Ukrainian lands into Russia and the establishing of serfdom by Russian Empress Catherine II in 1783. Here I feel like I must explain, I have to explain something or to, to give more information about search. Yes, please do. So that's not something particularly well understood, I think, in, in the West. As you said, yeah, yes. he, he's born a serf in the Russian Empire. Can you expand on that a little bit? What does that mean? You know, when I guide foreigners in my museum, I see that they don't understand what is serfdom. They know what is slavery, but serfdom is something else. So serfdom, what it was uh, in Russia. Peasants were bounded to the land they lived in, and together with the land, they became uh, property of a landowner. 
If parents gave a birth to a child, the child automatically became a serf. Serfdom in Russia had a very sad, I would even say disgusting shape. A landlord could uh, lose his serf in cards or exchange for hunting dogs. And that was awful. Serfs had very limited rights, but even those they had were violated. For example, officially it was forbidden um, to sell or buy serfs, except when you buy a land, then serfs are included. So, sounds, sounds awful, yeah, for modern days. But we speak about Russia, where human rights had always been violated and still are. So there were numerous ads announcing selling or buying serfs. You could uh, open any paper in Petersburg, of that time, and you could find an uh, advertisement, I sell or I'll buy a serve for, the price was very different. Mm. And this is what would happen to Shevchenko later. His landowner, Pavel Engelgard, refused to release Taras uh, for free, and he asked quite a big money for the freedom of his uh, serve, Taras Shevchenko. To explain about Russia and Ukraine, and to explain about Ukraine being a part uh, of Russia, how it happened, uh, how was it to be incorporated in, in the huge empire. I must tell uh, at least briefly uh, the historical and social context of the period. So for many centuries, the land of modern Ukraine were under the influence of two neighboring countries. I mean the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth and their Moscow Tsardom. I say Moscow Tsardom, but not Empire, because uh, after the colonization of the Ukrainian lands, Moscow Tsardom was able to become an empire, to transform into empire. It happened in, seems to me, in 1723, and we speak about Peter the Great. And the growing dysfunction of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth ended up with a series of partitions of Poland and finally removal of this state from the map of Europe. And as a result, uh, massive territories, a large part of them ethnically Ukrainian belonging to the Commonwealth, were transferred to the rapidly expanding Russian Empire. So Russia controlled up to 80% of Ukrainian lands. We speak about central, southern, and eastern uh, modern Ukraine. And the rest belonged to or fell under influence of the Austrian Empire. I speak about modern western lands of Ukraine. So Russia treated Ukraine as a source to feed Russian culture, religion, uh, science and education. The thing is that Kyiv is, um, you know, now we know now Kyiv is much older than uh, than Moscow, not to mention St. Petersburg. Kyiv was first mentioned in uh, 482 and the Moscow in uh, 1147. By the way, it was founded by Yuri Dolgoruki, the prince who originated from uh, Kyiv, uh, Rurik dynasty, yes. And Ukrainians had their old background lasting continuously from, uh, from the times of uh, Kievan Rus. It was the medieval state on our territory with Kiev as a center of trade, religion, culture, and, and political life. 
We have the famous St. Sophia Cathedral in Kiev. It was built in back in 1011, when Moscow wasn't even mentioned. And uh, this cathedral is still standing uh, in Kiev. And this is my personal recommendation when you visit Kiev. Uh, this is uh, Saint Sophia Cathedral is must visit during uh, your stay in, in Kiev. So I invite you after our victory. Yes. And little by little, the empire transferred the center to Russia. How it happened? In 1817, the famous Kiev Mohila Academy, uh, the first Ukrainian high school which was founded back in 1615. It was closed in Kyiv. By the way, the first university in Moscow was inaugurated much later, 140 years later, after Kyiv Mohila Academy. And uh, uh, the founder of the first university in, in Moscow was Mikhail Lemonosov, and he was the graduate from, from the Kyiv Mohila Academy. So uh, after the closing of uh, the academy in Kiev, uh, the center of culture, religion, uh, uh, philosophic thinking, uh, and science uh, uh, transferred to, to St. Petersburg, which was by the time the capital of the Russian Empire. This is a, a short way to, to explain uh, what it was to be a part of the Russian Empire. I think it was typical for most empires. The behavior of, of Russian Empire was very typical for most empires all over the world. But the problem is that many centuries passed and the situation remains the same, even, even now. Yeah. So, Lubov, you've set the scene and given us loads of background on the situation that Ukraine found itself in 1814 at the start of Tarashevchenko's life. As you've described, he was born a serf in Kiev province. Can you sketch for us his early life and his 20s and his 30s? When does he start writing and what does he write? When he was uh, quite a young boy, when he was eight, he was sent uh, to the local uh, school in the village the deacon school. It was a kind of a church school where a deacon was instead of a teacher. And it was their only available education for Shevchenko when he lived in the village. It's a very dramatic part of his life. He became orphaned quite early. When he was nine, his mother died at her 40, being very young. And in two years, his father also died. So 11 to 14, Taras was basically homeless without uh, any regular care and had to feed himself. Though he was uh, simply surviving, uh, he um, abandoned the school, which didn't give him enough knowledge and uh, went to find a teacher of uh, drawing among the local icon painters. Uh, since his early childhood, Shevchenko was found of uh, peculiar talent in drawing. And his promise as an artist later allowed him to rise out of serfdom and to enter the artistic and cultural circles uh, in Petersburg. But that would be several years later. And before that, the 14-year-old Taras Shevchenko was taken to his landlords, to Baron Elgilgard's uh, estate, to serve as a kozachok. Kozachok is a Ukrainian word for boy servant. In 1829, uh, Baron Engelgard uh, moved to live to Vilnius, which at the time was the provincial city of the Russian Empire. 
after these uh, partitions of Poland. He took his boy Savan Taras with him. Shevchenko was 15 uh, when he had to leave his native land. And since then, he spent most of his life out uh, of his beloved Ukraine. And this is also a sad story. We know almost nothing of his Vilnius period, but uh, we know that his first and quite professional pencil drawing, Head of a Woman, was executed here, and Shevchenko showed uh, a very skillful talent in, in drawing. And later in, in three years, seems to be in three years, uh, Engelgard again uh, changed his location. He went to live in St. Petersburg, in the capital of the Russian Empire. And of course, he took his serfs with him to St. Petersburg and Shevchenko followed his landowner. In Petersburg, Engelgard um, noticed uh, his serfs' talent and decided to, to get some use of, of his talent. And he contracted a young artist to study ornamental art decoration to have his uh, private craftsmen. Shevchenko later came in contact with uh, the society for the so-called Society for the Encouragement of Artists and began attending its classes, its workshops. At that time, the society started receiving governmental subsidies and had become particularly involved in uh, securing the freedom of art artists who were serfs. And it also was a general problem in Europe then when nobility started noticing, started helping uh, uh, common people, uh, the peasants, serfs, etc. It was the influence of the impact of their French Revolution. And later Shevchenko met the key players in their St. Petersburg culture of life. Many of them were from Ukraine. You remember... Kiev Mohila Academy was closed, and people who were related to science, education, culture, who wanted to lead related life, they went to, to live in, in the capital, in St. Petersburg. So there was a big group of Ukrainians. They were quite influential. They took influential positions, so, and Shevchenko became acquainted uh, with them. And uh, they noticed... Uh, Shevchenko's talent in drawing, and he also wrote, by the time he wrote some of his first attempts in poetry. And uh, they decided to, to release Taras from serfdom and to give him opportunity to study at the Academy of Arts, because serfs were not allowed to, to get uh, higher education. Shevchenko's landowner and Gilgad agreed uh, to release uh, his uh, serf Taras but asked the sum of 2,500 rubles for his serf. How much is that roughly today? What does that translate as? I cannot tell you how it is today, but I can compare to the prices of that. Mm. For example, an ordinary serf who could read and could write could be sold for 300, 400 rubles. It was a typical average price for, for serfs for the times. 2,500 rubles, it was a very big price. I think this is also because Shevchenko had talent and because people who asked, who participated in his releasing were quite famous. Shevchenko's friends, when they heard the sum, they decided to, to find some influential support and financial assistance, of course, because really the price was huge. 
And uh, Shevchenko became acquainted with the Russian artist Karl Brulov, who was the most famous artist of his time in Russia. And he had recently returned from Italy, uh, all in fame with his iconic painting, Last Day of Pompeii. Another person was Vasily Zhukovsky, the Russian foremost poet of the time. And at the same time, he was the t- he was quite an influential person because he was a tutor of future Emperor Alexander II. Both took an active part in the liberation of Taras Shevchenko from serfdom. How did they get money? Karl Brilov, the artist, painted a portrait of Vasily Zhukovsky, the famous poet and a person close to the Tsar's family, the tutor of their future emperor, Alexander. And uh, they organized auction to sell the portrait and to, to use this money for Shevchenko's freedom. And uh, the lottery was uh, held among the members of the Tsar's family to raise the necessary funds. They managed to collect 1,000 rubles and the rest, the missing money, it was 1,500, was made up by Shevchenko's friends. Consequently, in 1838, aged 24, Shevchenko was released from serfdom and he became a free man only at his 24. And soon after that, Shevchenko enrolled in the Petersburg Academy of Arts, which uh, at the time was the most prestigious institution giving artistic education in the Russian Empire. And Shevchenko's primary teacher was Karl Brilov, or Karl the Great, as his contemporaries called him for his tremendous talent, fame, and popularity. So from the position of a serf, Shevchenko jumped very quickly into position of a student at, Saint Peter's, at the Academy of Arts and favorite student of Karl the Great, Karl Brilov. So that's quite an astonishing rise for somebody who, as you said, grew up as a serf, grew up as a peasant. And look at this from our position. Yeah, This fact could give Shevchenko a great chance to make a brilliant career as an artist, to earn considerable money, to be welcome in the saloons of the wealthiest aristocrats of the day. Though it was his artistic talent that provided him with the direct means to escape from serfdom and to enter his high top circles of St. Petersburg, among his contemporaries and even today, he is better known as a poet. Shevchenko began writing poetry when he was still a serf. Having gained freedom, he was working as intensively on his art as he was working intensively on his poetry. And finally, in 1840, when he was 26, his first small collection of poetry, entitled The Kobzar, appeared in St. Petersburg. Uh, Kobzar sounds pretty strange for foreigners. Kobza is a folk Ukrainian musical instrument, very old one. Kobzar is a person playing Kobza. And Kobzars in Ukraine were like bards, uh, like minstrels or troubadours in Europe. They were wandering uh, singers. 
they would travel from uh, all over the country singing historical songs and dumas, uh, with unique epic forms that reflected the most important events in the life of, of the Ukrainian people over many centuries. And Kobzars also were a source of information uh, about the past and the present. They spoke of the Ukrainian heroes who fought against the enemies or enslavers, about heroes who sacrificed their lives for their um, homeland and compatriots. They also sang about the current situation in the country, social unrest, national or religious uh, disputes, status, humiliation, etc. And Shevchenko's poetry from, from this collection was very much consonant with the Kobzar songs and with uh, folk Ukrainian Dumas, these folk songs. And given the title Kobzar to his collection of verses, the poet emphasized uh, the durability, the continuing process of the Ukrainian old tradition of the past and the literature of his time on the one side, it was the durability of all tradition of the past. And on the other side, he joined the literary process of the 19th century to the past, folk songs, to Dumas, etc. And in the best romantic tradition, we remember he was the poet of romanticism, the poet sings an ode to Ukraine, its history, its heroic past, etc. Very often people ask when they see this prince of Kobzar, they ask what was the language of Shevchenko's poetry. The poetry from Kobzar, uh, it acquired uh, the symbolic meaning of the Ukrainian literature revival at the time. Shevchenko wasn't the first uh, Ukrainian poet and he wasn't the only poet of his time. There were other romantic poets, uh, for example, there was a uh, very uh, strong and famous, uh, the so-called Kharkiv School of Romanticism, because there was Kharkiv University at that time. Kharkiv University appeared uh, a few years later, and Kharkiv was the first university uh, in Ukraine in their Russian Empire. In Ukraine, which was under Russian Empire. In the whole part of modern Ukraine, Lviv University, Lviv was under Austrian Empire, was the first. But Shevchenko's talent was really tremendous, and he could feel the soul of his folk. And in his poetry, he expressed something which was very touching for, for the Ukrainian people. And also, a very important thing, he wrote Ukrainian. Though the, the collection of Kobzar appeared in St. Petersburg, which was Russia, and Shevchenko lived and worked in, in Petersburg, so in Russia, his poetry was written uh, in Ukrainian. Do you have any to hand? It would be good to hear a little bit of what the poetry actually sounds like. It sounds very much like modern Ukrainian language, like I speak now. It's almost the same. You can uh, understand it without interpretation, because we consider him to be the founder of modern Ukrainian language, of the language we speak now. It's not like uh, you have your Shakespeare, you must adapt to modern, uh, yes, to modern, or the language of, uh, what was this guy, Canter Canterbury Tales. Chaucer, yeah. Yes. Shevchenko, we must understand, he lived uh, not as far away in time as your first great poets lived. It was only 200 years ago. 
what was the official policy of, of, of the Russian Empire concerning Ukrainian language? When, he, when Shevchenko's poetry appeared in Petersburg, were a series of critical uh, articles in uh, Russian periodicals, and all the critics acknowledged the uh, poetic talent of Taras Shevchenko, but all of them in, in one voice criticized him for writing uh, poetry in Ukrainian, which was considered to be the peasant's language at the time. Because uh, the Ukrainian language was their oral spoken language of presence. And Shevchenko took this language for his poetry, and he took the language of his region. Uh, this is now Cherkasy. It was central Ukrainian dialect. Uh, this is now Cherkasy and Poltava. Uh, regions, uh, which, by the way, suffered very much, um, were Russificated to a great extent during the Soviet times. And he wrote his poetry in, in this uh, central Ukrainian language, and this language became later the, the official language uh, of Ukraine. So Tavshashenko is in St. Petersburg. He releases his first book of poetry. He uses the language of the peasants. He writes in Ukrainian. And the reaction is, is mixed. People, as you said, recognize his talent, but they criticize him for writing in Ukrainian. What happens next? Next, he comes uh, to Ukraine. He graduated from the Academy of Arts. He got diploma of a free artist, and he went to live in Ukraine. From 1843 to 1847, Shevchenko lived. Uh, he lived in Ukraine. Ukraine at that time was called Malorossia. It's uh, literally Little Russia, and it was Malorossiyskiy uh, Gubernie, Little Russia provinces of the Russian Empire. When he came to Ukraine, he was celebrated as a famous poet and artist. He left Ukraine uh, being, uh, when he was 15 years old and he was a serf, and he came back uh, aged 29 as a free man, as a most acknowledged as a most famous poet of his time and as a talented uh, and educated artist. And he was invited uh, in the states, to the estates of their Ukrainian nobility, where he painted their portraits, talked about the past of Ukraine, why the, he talked about the past with these people. Uh, most of them, they were descendants of their so-called Cossack, Cossacks elite. Cossacks were warriors uh, of the Ukrainian army, and until uh, the end of the 18th century, we had Zaporizhia siege, and we had Hetmanshina. Uh, they were state, uh, They were states, uh, very to very much. Uh, they were very much autonomic from from the Russian Empire, and uh, um, these states were uh, abolished or cancelled by Catherine II in 1780s. And uh, uh, Shevchenko was born uh, some uh, 30 years after the uh, after these states were abolished. In the 19th century, people uh, were very nostalgic about uh, this period because uh, it was the, the, the golden age of Ukrainian history. And it was the time when they were free. I hadn't realized at all that they were so close, that, that these states had collapsed and then only 30 years later. So people are still talking about them. People still remember them. Yeah. Until I came to work in the museum, 
I also didn't realize that it was just the case from people still, there were still people who, who were Cossacks, who remember how to be free. And then they became uh, serfs, and they lost their freedom. But, you know, you cannot change your, your mentality within uh, 30, 30 years, yes. And they, they still were very nostalgic about this period. And most of Shevchenko's poetries uh, are dedicated to Cossack times. They called it Kozatska uh, Volnitsa, which means, uh, if to translate, Cossack free times. So this nobility in Ukraine, uh, where, where it was mostly descendants of the Cossack elite, but they lost their identity. They were given privileged, uh, they were given lands, uh, serfs, uh, they had money, and they didn't care. They lost their national identity, I would say. And it was Shevchenko who first applied to them. You know, you guys, you are uh, descendants of such great people. You are descendants of free people, and now you, you lost all this. And he, he started talking about this. He expressed these ideas in his poetry. And uh, that was at the time we, when we had no political elite. This role of the leader, Shevchenko accepted this role of the, of the national leader because of the absence of political class in Ukraine. So he was a member uh, at the um, Archaeographical Commission. He was a staff of this commission. He traveled to different regions of Ukraine and executed a series of artworks representing Ukraine. It's landscapes, people, the most important historical moments, uh, national traditions and customs, etc. And he was the first artist to, to do that in Ukraine. It was very typical for romantic period to, to get interested in your country to represent your folk and to represent the beauty of your country. So landscape is style which appeared in the Romantic period. Before that, landscape served just a, like a mute scene to depict some people or some events on a mute scene. And in the 19th century, landscape becomes a separate style and very influential style in art. So he's a figure, he becomes a figurehead of sort of Ukrainian statehood, Ukrainian ideas about themselves. People remember the, the states beforehand. He's writing poetry, he's painting, he's depicting the landscape. All of this leads to the sort of next bit of his life story. Tell us about that. When he was in Ukraine, he continued writing his poetry. But if to compare this poetry to the previous ones, uh, to the poems of, from Kobzar, he, uh, it sounds as if um, the poet uh, reconsiders the situation, the events, etc. In Kobzar, he was just no nostalgic, a passive nostalgic uh, poet. And uh, when he came to Ukraine, when he lived here, he becomes active. He not only feels nostalgia, but he calls for, for action. He calls for being conscious, for being interested in your past, because uh, it's uh, uh, knowing your past. It's very important to understand what you are now and to to build future. Yeah. He put his poetry. Uh, the poetry of that period was very national, sharp, and re I would say even revealing. 
He put down his verses into a manuscript album entitled, we call it Trilita, Three Years in English, because he collected poetry written between uh, 1843, 1845, so three years. He put it down in a manuscript album, but no, because he knew that censorship would never let it be printed. From the perspective of the authority, every one of these poems uh, was uh, passionately subversive. They were openly political, uh, criticizing the system, uh, governance, and values of the Russian Empire, precisely as a slave-owning empire, and especially as a regime that has uh, destroyed Ukraine and its freedom. You understand if that it would never be published, but even if it was published, he could be punished for them. What is interesting about him, yes, uh, he was Ukrainian, but he criticized not only the empire, but also those Ukrainians who served it and swell uh, its progress. Uh, in his poem, um, To the Living, to the Dead, and Still Alborn, My Country uh, Fellows, my friendly epistle, uh, the poet uh, condemned his countrymen whose uh, inferiority complex made uh, them forget their traditions and customs, renounce their own or origins, and serve for the empire for the sake of enrichment and career. And this uh, epistle, this, this is a big poem, uh, which he called my epistle. Uh, and this epistle was uh, sent... Uh, was, um, sent to, to the Ukrainian nobility. He calls to, to be conscious. Because, you know, um, it is always, in, in all countries, it's always the same, then the changes begin from, from the top. So changes begin from uh, elite. And that's why he appealed, he appealed to, to uh, elite of Ukraine. And he also wrote, um, among the poems from uh, Trilita, from the, from the collection three, three Years, there was uh, one of, of especially radical content. It was the poem um, The Dream. Satire on the empire, Russian Empire, and he, uh, he also wrote satire on the emperor himself, Nicholas I, and his wife, uh, Alexandra Fyodorovna. An interesting fact, when Taras Shevchenko was accused uh, of being ungrateful, writing mockery, writing satire on the Tsar's family, who had helped him uh, to release from serfdom, we remember this auction they took uh, part in, he answered that he wouldn't be a serf if the Russian empress had not established serfdom. It's a very smart answer and it's very true. When Shevchenko was arrested, uh, the collection three years became the prime piece uh, of evidence against uh, him uh, at his inquest. And uh, this, uh, this book, uh, this album, still bears the uh, prosecutor's not, uh, notations, penciled vertical strokes next to their offending lines and their occasional NB, which stands uh, from Latin uh, not a banner, or in English, uh, take note. Uh, and we exhibit it in our museum. I remind you that uh, I am a researcher at the Taras Shevchenko National Museum in Kiev. And another personal recommendation, visit our museum. We, we, we hold uh, over 
almost 800 originals uh, by Taras Shevchenko. So you have his album in which the prosecutors, his prosecutors are writing about this, you know, noting down what they think is offensive, what they're going to prosecute him with. Uh, frankly speaking, we have a copy of it. But the original preserve, we, we have uh, another institution in Kiev. It's called Taras Shevchenko Institute of Literature. And uh, this institute keeps, uh, holds uh, Shevchenko's manuscript of his poetry, uh, his albums, first uh, editions, uh, and we hold uh, his artwork, originals, his personal belongings, costume he, uh, he wore, easel, uh, brushes, uh, etching plates, etc. So you mentioned in your answer just then about his arrest and prosecution, that's a huge moment in, in his life and maybe one of the few things that people outside Ukraine who've heard a bit about Shevchenko know about. So can you tell us about that? What, what happened? What, what did it do to him? <laughs> Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Do listen tomorrow to hear the second part of our special two-part podcast on the life and work of Taraf Shevchenko. Thank you so much, Lyubov, for your time. We'll hear from her again tomorrow. Ukraine The Latest is an original podcast from The Telegraph. To stay on top of all of our Ukraine news, analysis and dispatches from the ground, subscribe to The Telegraph. And sign up to Dispatches, our Ukraine newsletter, which brings stories from our award-winning foreign correspondents straight to your inbox. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider following Ukraine The Latest on your preferred podcast app. And if you have a moment, leave a review as it helps others find the show. You can also get in touch directly to ask questions or give comments by emailing podcasts at telegraph.co.uk. We do read every message, and we are especially interested to hear where you are listening from around the world. Ukraine The Latest is produced by Louisa Wells and Giles Gear. Taras Grigorovich Shevchenko. Zapovit. Yakumruto pochovaite mene na mogile. Серед степу широкого на вкраїні милій, щоб вони й широкополі, і Дніпро, і кручі було видно, було чути, як реве ревучий, як понесе з України у синє море кров ворожу, о тоді я і лани, і гори все покину і полину до самого Бога. Молитися. А до того я не знаю Бога. Поховайте та вставайте, кайдани порвіте і вражою злою кров'ю волю окропіте. І мене в сім'ї великій, в сім'ї вольній, новій. Не забудьте пом'янути незлим, тихим словом.